Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 228 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Now, today's interview is a little bit different from my normal interview, and you will notice that I have a sister on today. And if you look at the title, it doesn't even say exactly who she lost, and that is because Regina lost four siblings, one sister and three brothers. Two were small infants, and the other two were young adults. And so she goes through her grief journey and watching her parents grieve and just has so much insight. And you might be a little scared to listen today, thinking that this will be a very, very sad story, but really it is a story of resilience and strength. And I think you will learn so much from her. And I do want to make sure that you will listen to the very, very, very end because there is the most special moment that has ever been in my 228 episodes on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. This is my favorite moment, what happens at the very, very end. So right now, sit back and enjoy listening to Regina and her story of a sister's grief. Thank you so much, Regina, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Marcy. Yeah, I am looking forward to talking to you because you do have a different story than many of the guests that I have on the show. I do, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I hesitated at first. I listened to your podcast for probably about six months before I just really felt moved to, to email you. Because I know that this primarily started, obviously, with you and your grief as a mom, as a parent. And so selfishly, I want to grieve. I guess that's not even a word, selfishly. But I'm doing this primarily for the memory of my sweet parents who really never got the chance 40 years ago. This would would have been absolutely unheard of to talk about grief, God forbid, and go live and give names and dates and details, you know, and my other brothers and sisters and I, I'm one of 12. And we often talk about how different possibly our lives would have been had we been able to, you know, attend therapy and talk about this and work through this and network with other families that just was unheard of. So on behalf of half the world that listens to Marcy. Thank you so, so much. You have no idea. You're such a humble, humble woman, individual, but we really, really appreciate this. And I wouldn't be here where I am right now without your podcast. So thank you. Well, that's very sweet of you to say. And so, you know, Regina comes on today, not as a grieving mom, but as a grieving sister and as a grieving sister four times over. 
So let's just let that sink in for a little bit. So these are four separate times when she lost one of her siblings and had to witness her parents' grief. So I just think she will have a lot of insight for us. First of all, in her own grief as losing a sibling four times, but also to many of us who, well, me and a lot of the other parents, first of all, her seeing kind of her parents' grief And secondly, from our perspective, helping our children grieve, because that Mm -hmm. many of us do have other children that are surviving children, and they are grieving siblings. And it's so hard to know what to do. So I think you can give a little insight on a few different things, actually. Sure. Well, that would be my, that would be my hope and my prayer. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. Sure. So why don't you start out by just telling us about your family? Because big, big family, 12 kids. Wow. Yes. So yes, we grew up and we're from the Quad Cities and it's on the border of Iowa and Illinois. Mm -hmm. And we're a big Irish Catholic family. Like I said, one of 12. My dad worked for the railroad and then eventually got on with our local John Deere. My mom was a nurse, but throughout most of her life, she was a stay-at-home mama to all oh, of us. I would think so. I don't know how you could be a working nurse and have 12 children. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yes. So the typical 1970s family, there are eight of us now, and most of us still live within that region and are a very close, tight family. You know, we're not perfect. We have our ups and downs, but our grief, as you will here, my story has really set that foundation, mm-hmm. got us to where we are today. Yeah. So where are you in the line of 12? I am the fourth eldest. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we're all basically a year apart. The first, oh, probably five. And then there's a little bit of a gap. And then there's a couple more sprinkled in there. And then I had seven brothers. And then there was this huge surprise when I was a senior in high school and mom had a baby girl. So. Oh, wow. Yes. So what's the span in age then? The oldest to youngest. Big spread. So it's 20 years. 20, 20, 21 years is the 21 span. 21 years from the oldest to yes. the youngest. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. totally. That is a big spread. Yeah. Yeah. You are you are correct there. It is a big span. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. But, you know, many happy, happy memories of riding in the station wagon. And, you know, we weren't rich by any means. And I can remember when dad bought a van and we put an eight track village people in the van and we would go around and drive through neighborhoods on Sunday afternoons and just, you know, there'd be fighting and arguing and screaming. But then there'd also be happy times with singing and, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So when was it that grief kind of first entered your family? Okay, backstory first. Yeah. My my dad, his mom, when my dad was, well, he and mom were married. It was before I was born. So it would have been 1967. My dad's mom was in a terrible car accident. They were going to play cards and there were four ladies in a car. And so my Nana, whom I never was able to meet, was in a car accident, was injured quite severely and lived 19 days. Oh, wow. And then finally succumbed to her injuries. 
So I've heard stories of my mom just dropped everything. She was six months pregnant to be by her bedside. And, you know, they all turned to my mom being the nurse and asking those type of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about trauma and, you know, there's so many books out there that talk about childhood trauma or even trauma before you were even generational trauma. Right. And I'll talk about that later on with my father. But, you know, just knowing that ahead of time, that that was something that he had in, to endure as a son now sets you up for his path. It was in 1974. It was August 10th. Unbeknownst to all of us, my mom and dad were planning to a trip to Canada. My dad's sister lived in Canada. So my mom was going to take my baby sister, her name was Mary Colleen, to the doctor. She had had an ear infection. She just wanted to make sure her ears were cleared up. And so we were all home with dad and on the way home, it was raining and, you know, the details are kind of foggy because back then, you know, it was, it was mostly hearsay, you know, we can't go back and investigate that, but there is kind of speculation that there was a young inexperienced driver that perhaps may have been drinking and he was going very fast switching lanes and he hit my mom head on. And so my little sister, Mary, was obviously very critically injured. And my mom has said over and over, she knew instantly how bad it was by the sound of Mary's cry. Yeah. So the roof had opened up and mom said it felt so good to have the rain come down. She said she knew that she was going to live because she felt that instant, the steering wheel broke several of her ribs. But once she got through that first breath of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, she thought, so immediately some people came to the scene and moms kept saying, I'm all right. I'm a nurse. Take care of my baby. Take care of my little girl. So how old um, was she? Nine months. Okay. She was nine months old. And, you know, back then there were no car seat regulations, you know, heck, half the time you'd see parents up and down, you know, holding kids for heaven's yeah. sakes in the car. So from what we're told or what I, I, I can remember a little bit because I was six at the five at the time. Yeah. But Mary was in an infancy up front. And so she was thrown to like the passenger side floor. So a passerby actually took Mary, grabbed her and, and took her to the hospital. You know, again, this is really? back in the seventies when people, you know, did things yeah. like that. Dad got you know, the phone call and got to the hospital. And so he's got his wife in one room and his baby girl in the other. And they were assessing both at the same time. And mom had several horrific injuries to her ribs, legs. I think she fractured over 80% of the bones in her body and she had lost an eye. And so they had to go into surgery and remove that eye. And so they were prepping her for surgery and my dad went in and he laid a rosary on her chest and said, Susan, we have an angel in heaven. And so mom went into surgery, but then three weeks later, she awakened from a coma. Oh wow! She went into a coma. And so for many, 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 many days, dad held off Mary Colleen's funeral thinking he was going to have a double funeral. Yeah. Mom was in a coma. And I remember her dad explaining, he brought a priest back home to explain to all of us at home, because, you know, here's six of us at home, and we're all under the age of 10. Yeah. Mom's fighting for her life. So my sweet brother, Dennis, went to school and said, my mom's boxing, because that's, you know, she's yeah. in a boxing match with God, she's fighting for her life. And so it was very much touch and go. 
We had a lot of support from our local church. We would not have gotten through that with without them. Yeah. We were in Catholic schools, so the nuns would come over and do our laundry and feed us. And so when my sweet mom awakened from her coma, she thought, she said to my dad, oh, what a day. She thought it had just been that same day. And my dad was like, no, Susan, it's been three weeks. Wow. That's a whole other story that we don't have time for on this segment. But mom was one of the very first, you know, euthanasia when that was all coming up because my the doctors would literally run from my dad when they would see him because they didn't know what to tell my dad. And my dad knew, you know, what should I do? I've got six children at home. I know my mom, Susan, wouldn't want to live in a vegetative state like this. They didn't have the tests that they had back nowadays, you know, Yeah. they, you know, her, everything was flatlined as far as brain activity. They just, they weren't sure. They didn't know what to tell dad. So the priest that married my mom and dad, we had, we had mass that morning and dad had decided he was going to pull the, pull the machines and, and just stop and see what all could transpire after that. So the priest stayed with mom and dad took us all down to breakfast. And that's when she showed signs of just woke up. Yeah. Wow. But I hesitate, you know, mom would be the first one to say, but Regina, make sure you tell them she did not have the head injuries. Her body went into a coma because of the trauma to the external organs. So she could hear everything. In fact, when she awake from her coma, she could say, oh, you're Marcy and you're, you know, you're dating so-and-so. And so I always think of that, like the hearing is the last to go. And so when you go into those hospital rooms, you know, those doctors yeah. tell you, yeah. don't talk about them as if they're not there. Yeah. And don't say, oh, that's that terrible woman that had that horrible carts in it. Oh, mom loved the fact that the nurses would just talk and go on. Uh-huh with life but she laughs now or we teased her because she hates the television to this day hates it on because to stimulate her brain the doctors would leave the tv on all day and she would listen to these soap operas and she just hated it so (laughs) wow wow yeah that's amazing it was amazing in fact it the day she came home it said miracle on mother's day and there was a big newspaper article because she was it was from august because she came home on mother's day yeah it was august to may and then that's when we started rebuilding our lives as you know this family that had this horrific car accident and mom had lost her eye and walked with a horrible limp and and lost her baby. And now, you know, having to grieve that. That must have been just, I'm thinking about that too. Here she is in this, you know, unable to communicate, unable to move, but able to think and able to hear. Yes. And mourning her baby girl. Mourning her baby. All by herself. All by herself. Wow. One of the questions she wanted to know from my dad was, what did you put her in? What did you dress her in? You know, because... All that was taken away from her. She never got the final goodbye, the visitation, the funeral, the people coming and grieving with her. She never got that. Yeah. Because he put it off for a while, but then at some point, obviously, he had to just go ahead. He had to. He had to. In fact, bless his heart, he did it on my fifth birthday and uh, or my sixth birthday, because then I can remember everybody came after the funeral and then it was my birthday. 
And they're like, oh, you know, trying so desperately to pretend or what I don't know the word I'm looking for, but to grieve with this family, but yet celebrate this little six-year-old's birthday, you know? Wow. I just can't imagine. I can't. I can't imagine. Do you remember it? Do you remember that? I I do bits and pieces of it. Yeah. I do. My first grade teacher, her name was Sister Peter. I can remember like staining her white little nun outfit with tears. I can remember the smell of her hugs. And then when I look at pictures, that's when I remember because my mom was always perfect with my sister and I, with our hair and our outfits and my poor first grade picture. I mean, my hair's greasy, My nothing against my poor dad. That was the last thing on his mind was doing girls hair. Yeah. But when I look back at those pictures, I just think, oh my good goodness, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was a a very, very, very sad time. Yeah. Very sad. But also, again, building that foundation of when you grieve your church family or your your blood relatives or your neighbors or just, you know, that whole community feeling too. Yeah. Was definitely there. Definitely there. So life went on, mom came home, and miraculously, she went on to have more children. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that was surprising to them that that even was going to be Right, right. Possible. And I can remember, yeah, I can remember also, I don't think I, this just popped into my memory. I remember the first time, and it was probably a year, that mom drove again. Right. And then we were all in the car, and it was just like, there was no radio, no one said a word, you know, and. I'm thinking, wow, that had to have been so incredibly difficult for mom. I just can't imagine, you know, and or even driving by that. Yeah, I'm certain. I'm certain of it. I mean, I feel like one of the hardest things I ever had to do was the next day when we left from the hospital to get in a car. I mean, I it was <laughs> like, I felt like I, I just was standing there and, you know, my friend Michelle, she brought her car. She had the door open and she's like waiting for me to get in. Everyone's waiting for me to get in and they oh. look at me and I'm just like, I just don't, I just, you know, it was so hard to even get in a car, let alone drive a car. It took me a while to drive a car too. And I wasn't even driving. Like, yeah, you know, I wasn't even well, driving and it still was difficult to drive a car. And, and And Michelle said to me later, she said, it looked, I looked at your face and I, and it looked like you were going to have to be like physically pushed into the car. Like she could just see how just traumatized yeah. I was. And yeah. I can just imagine that with your mom. Yeah. Just that trauma. Isn't Andy's side of the accident is not too far. I mean, it's within yeah. your. I, I have to drive. I have to, We have to drive past it quite often. Yeah. I can't, Marcy. I just, yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah. I've done a lot of therapy around that. And of course, in the mm-hmm. 1970s, there wouldn't have been. And there's no question from what you're describing. Your mom had PTSD. If she did not drive for a year, she had PTSD. Right. You know, right. And, and no one knew what that was. And you just tried to mm-hmm. get through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, and, you know, that unfortunately for us too, we have to drive by, we don't have to drive by it, but it's a main thoroughfare in our our area. And there's two red barns and the accident happened in between the two red barns. And so every time I see those red barns, I just, you know, your life changed. How many Mm -hmm. years later still, Right. right. It's still in your head. 
and you're yeah. at almost 50, what, almost 50, 50 years. years it'll be 50 years next august right no it was wow. 50 this august oh it's yeah. 50 this august okay yeah well no 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 you're right yeah next no, august, yeah Mar right? yeah. Or, yeah yeah wow okay so then she, she went on and you are yeah now a grieving family so you're definitely a different yes. family than you were before losing Definitely, definitely. But losing your sister, but truly a stronger family. Yeah. In our faith. I definitely felt that. So let's see, she had, she had a baby boy. Um, my little brother was born and that just brought us so, so much healing, so much yes. healing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she was expecting again, two years later, and I was in seventh grade. And there were three other moms that were all pregnant at the same time, including my teacher. And so it was a very exciting time. She was due in September. And I remember she went into labor and had the baby. And the, our principal came on the intercom and announced that the Ahern family had a baby boy. And everybody was cheering. And, and then after school, I had a softball game. And so I went to the softball game. And, and it was then, I think, that I kind of noticed parents kind of whispering and kind of you know, talking back and forth. And then after the game, one of them said, I'm going to, you know, I'll give you a ride home. And when I got there, my grandparents' cars were, my grandma's car was in the driveway, but my grandma wasn't there. And uh, it was then that I found out that mom had had a baby boy. And again, years and years ago, with the lack of technology that we have this time around or, you know, mm -hmm. 40, 50 years later, he was, he was born and he was not breathing at birth very well. And at first they thought maybe he had, what do you call it? When your lungs are, he had had his first bowel movement. Okay. Meconium, meconium aspiration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meconium. He was a meconium aspirated baby, but so they flew him to Rockford, which is about an hour and a half away from where we live. And he passed eight hours later. And we later, later found out he had something called Pottered Syndrome, oh. which is when the kidneys just, they don't form. They don't form at all. Yeah. And it's so funny because you think of the kidneys not forming and that they're dying from that. But actually what they die from is lung problems because the kidneys, the whole time when you're, when you're pregnant with your baby, that, that baby's kidneys produce the amniotic fluid that's like their urine is the amniotic fluid oh. and then that's what they need to breathe so they breathe in and out the amniotic fluid and without that amniotic fluid and being able to breathe in and out the amniotic fluid the lungs don't form so when you have oh. that you actually die from from your lungs being not formed properly so you die before the kidney failure really that's interesting no one's ever explained that to me marcy thank you i'm sure not i'm sure not Thank you. That was tough. That, that was, that was really tough. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that funeral. I remember, you know, just staring down at people's feet because I didn't want to see people crying for our family again. Yes. Yes. And I remember coming home and my dad coming home and there was a box of Pampers on the floor and he just, he just kind of kicked the box away, uh, you know, off to the side. And, you know, again, my sweet, mom, well, both parents, just having to pick up the pieces once again. And, you know, you talked at the beginning of the segment about how I could possibly help parents with grieving for their children. And I just think the biggest message that my parents have given me is that you have to go on. 
you have to go on for not only for you yourself, but especially if you have other children. Because having so many children, you had some that were able to acknowledge and accept and know what was going on. And then you had the toddlers bouncing around like, you know, okay, good morning. It's another day that clueless. Right. Like mom had a big belly and now mom doesn't have a big belly. And that's kind of all the difference that they know. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I just look at that and I just think, oh, my, we were so blessed with parents that I don't know, through the grace of God, because there were no support groups back then. And there weren't a lot of books out there, you know, but they were able to, to grieve with us at our ages and get us through this. That is beautiful that they were able to grieve Mm -hmm. with you at the different age group. Yeah. And I mean, I can remember going every holiday up to the cemetery to this day, we still do it. You know, we get in a big circle, we hold hands, we say in our father, and then we, you know, pray to the saints. And it's just, that's just ingrained in me. Because you go to see all of, are they buried in the same kind of area? Yeah, they oh. are now. Thank, mm-hmm. thank you for asking that. My dad was in the service. So uh, we have a huge arsenal over in Davenport, Iowa. So originally that's where mom and dad and Mary, our first, you know, one was buried and Terrence, but then now I have more to add. And at that point, unfortunately, mom and dad, they had to make the decision to remove and dig Terrence and Mary and move them over because the arsenal couldn't, I mean, that was, they were at the limit. They were masked with how many family members you could have over there. So thankfully, thankfully, we have a beautiful plot and mom and dad are buried with their, their four children. Oh, Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. It does bring me back to uh, something that one of Eric's coworkers, a nurse that he works with in the operating room, said to him very early after we lost Andy, just in the first months afterwards, because she had lost a sister when she was young. And she said to Eric, I have one piece of advice for you. Make sure your other kids know that they're enough. Because I think she had sometimes felt like they weren't enough. The leftover, mm. the, the two that had gone and the, and that there was so much focus on the one that had died that they felt a little bit less. It was something that kind of stuck with me is to try to always make sure that my other kids know that they're enough, that they're not less than. That's know. beautiful. That's beautiful, Marcy. Yes. Yeah. It's yes. a hard thing to remember because it's is really easy to focus on mm-hmm. what what you've lost. I mean, mm-hmm. so easy to do that. Uh, so it's a hard yeah. thing, but I think it was a necessary thing to think about right away. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, we bonded as a family. I meant to say this, and I'm, I'm prefacing this by and I, my prayer is that I don't want anyone to walk away from this and feel sorry for us because yeah, that was not, always yeah. my mom's biggest message. She never wanted, you know, when I said that there were three other moms that were pregnant, including my teacher. Right. So when I went back to school, <laughs> not one person said anything. It was as if you just went on. You didn't talk about it. Even my teacher, who was pregnant at the time, didn't even say anything to me. 
And this one little boy, his name was John. His name is John. We still keep in contact. And I shared this with him not too long ago. Our families were good friends. And he walked over and he said, I'm sorry about your brother. He kind of whispered it to me. And I will never forget that. Because he's the only one that did it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's what you did. Well, I shouldn't keep saying that's what you did back then. There had to have been people that grieved differently. And even now, it still happens, right? I I think there is a fear, first of all. I think your teacher is real mm-hmm. was terrified because if it could happen yeah. to you guys, True. it could True. happen to her. True. And it's easier in your mind, I think, if you just don't say anything mm-hmm. because you just can't even imagine it happening to you. So you don't want to. So you just put it out of your mind entirely. I I really think that's likely what was happening. Plus, there's this other Mm -hmm. huge fallacy that if I bring it up, I will make her sad, which is just so stupid because Mm -hmm. you're sad all the time anyway. You're always on the borderline of tears. It's not like she can make you any more sad by bringing it up. Right, right. Yeah. But I think there's just so much terror that for some reason it's like contagious. And if I say something that your baby died, then maybe my baby will die. Well, that's just dumb, but I think that's the way it is. right. Yeah. And and you are right that it's definitely getting better now. I would say in the past years, it's getting better. Mm -hmm. That it's not as socially unacceptable. Right. But it's still somewhat socially unacceptable. And you still have people that feel like they don't want to say a word to you about it. We kind of joke sometimes. We say that we want to form a little book, you know, like those manners books or how to for dummies or like, because, you know, we've, we've gone through what, four visitations of what, what? Not to say, you know, (laughs) and, you know, or it's just, yeah. And, you know, 99% of the time people mean well, they truly do. Oh, yeah. Their heart's in a good place for sure. But it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, Mm -hmm. I remember distinctly this one gal coming through and saying, oh, I know how you feel. My grandpa died last month. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. Grandpas are supposed to die. They're, you know, not. Yeah. Not children, you know. Baby brothers and sisters are not supposed to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, they mean well. They mean well. But I can't say enough about our parish family who just, again, we wouldn't be the family where we, uh, we are without that. So that leads me into our next horrific loss. So that was, we lost Terrence in 1979. And he was baby number what? So what number was he in line here? Oh, you'd you'd have to ask me that, right? Now I have to go through. He was baby number 10. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Then mom had a baby boy that almost exactly a year later. Okay. Exactly a year later. And then, of course, my, that, then like four years later is when she had our Megan. Our baby sister. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Baby sister. So mom, we went to a local Catholic high school and mom would often get invited. They had a death and dying class at the high school. Yeah. Yeah. Mom would go in and speak and talk about it. And, you know, she would, she never had, she never had that vision or that moment where, you know, how some people have claimed to have passed and they go up in the hospital room and they see the people and then they go. Yeah. She never had any of those moments, but her speech or her story was more faith-based, obviously, and how she never blamed God. She never blamed the driver, you know, what to do with that anger and that grief and, you know, but the premise of not being afraid of heaven and not being afraid of death, you know, Mm -hmm. and 
that promise of eternal life. We will see them again. I know that for 100% sure. I know I will see all my brothers and sisters again. Yeah. And that just, that glorious moment, I I can wait for <laughs> yeah. because selfishly I want to be here longer, but oh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So um, 1993, I was engaged and was very, very close with all of my siblings, but especially my little brother, Michael. He was just venturing out on his own. He was 21. And he had an apartment about a mile from mom and dad's. Michael was just fun loving, go with the flow, very relaxed. And hey, dude, how's it going? He'd be a perfect hippie. He (laughs) he was born in the wrong generation because he was a perfect hippie. Never really got upset, excited about much and just had a heart of gold. He had purchased a motorcycle. And I remember my mom and dad, they were not happy. No. Because- Back then, you know, they called it a donor cycle and, and, but he was thrilled. Cause this is in the 1980s, 90s, 93, 93, 93. Okay. It was a ninja and, you know, he was cool. And he had a couple of his buddies that also purchased motorcycles. So the night of the accident, it was a Friday. It was going into Memorial day weekend. I was having a huge wedding shower the next day, bridal shower. So my my fiance at the time, we had had a cookout at his home and Michael had come over and, you know, just being goofy Michael and he had shown his motorcycle and he had promised my cousins that he would take them for a ride on it. So we were finishing up the dishes and Michael was outside and he had to go to a uh, rehearsal dinner himself. And so my cousins got out there and Michael had already left and they're like, Michael, you know, he was going to take us for a ride. So I remember that night, it was the Miss America pageant. So my cousins and a couple of the the girls that were coming to the shower, we watched that. And then we all went back to my mom and dad's house and everybody went to bed. I was in the basement and I will never forget our doorbell. Our home doorbell always goes ding dong, you know, like every doorbell. That night, Marcy, it went ding. And I, I shot up. And by the time I got up, my dad was standing there and he was talking. But, you know, when you when you're waking up from a fog and you're, you know, and I remember my dad saying, no, 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 no. You got the wrong son. You got the wrong son. Because my other brother, Michael, or my other brother, Brian, had been out fishing that night. And so what my brain was was trying to calculate and understand was that there had been an accident. And they were telling dad it was Michael, but dad was trying to tell him, no, it's Brian. Because dad's thinking accident. Oh, they were fishing. They were out on the river. And so when I kind of came to and realized it was the coroner who worked with my mom. Wow. And we found out later, bless her heart, her name was Sharon. When Sharon found out that it was my brother, Sharon said, no, I will personally go to the house because she knew my mom as a personal friend. And she and knew so, she had lost two other kids. Right? Yes. Yes. And so what had happened was I remember cognitively trying to figure this out. And I remember I was angry. I thought, Michael. And so I turned and I go, what hospital is he at? Because I'm thinking I'm going to go get dressed. And then I'm just going to oh, because yeah. the last thing my husband said to him was, Michael, keep both tires on the ground. Keep both tires on the ground. Yeah. And that's when Sharon said, no, honey, he's gone. And I just shrieked that shriek that so many of your 
parents and moms and dads have talked about. It's a shriek, a guttural yell that cannot be explained. Yeah. And my mom and dad were gone in a flash because they had to go to the hospital and verify their son. I raced up the steps and I called my sister who lived in Chicago at the time. And I said, Captain, we have another angel in heaven. And then my poor husband, my dad had called him and said, Brian, there's been an accident, come over. So he didn't know who it was. He just knew there was an accident. But Brian said he knew it was Michael. He knew immediately with the motorcycle. Right. So what had happened was Michael was on his way home from his girlfriend was in a wedding that, that next day. He was coming home from the rehearsal dinner and he and his buddy were driving their motorcycles, 21 years old. Were they going the speed limit? Highly doubt it. Yeah. And he had a helmet on, but those darn motorcycles, you know, he hit a spike and, or well, he hit gravel and then hit a spike and was gone instantly. The poor friend, I mean, he was in shock. They were 21 years old. He couldn't find Michael. So he drove all the way back to the party to go get help. And then there was some there was some confusion where because it happened out in the county. So yeah. they were trying to figure out city, county, ambulance. So the police officer took his ID, but he was taken to a different hospital. So he laid there, not, you know, for a couple of hours and no, not knowing who it was. So then when they finally found the ID and matched it, that's when the coroner said, oh, no, I'm going to the home. Yeah. So it was horrific. Yeah. Absolutely horrific. It was it it was every parent's nightmare. Right. And again, you had Megan at the time my baby sister was 6 years old. Yeah. All the way up to my sister Catherine who had a family of her own. Yeah. And it was horrible. And you know, again, mom and dad, we we prayed, we cried, we screamed, kicked, yelled, all the, you know, at all the emotions that needed to be done. But I remember driving up the hill to the funeral and the cars were lined for probably a half a mile and driving up that hill in the limo and my mom just sobbing about the cars. And inside I'm thinking, mom, why are you crying? This is beautiful. Yeah. Look at all these people that have shown up for us and it was Memorial Day weekend. They could have been doing a thousand other things, but they're yeah. here for us to give us strength and to carry us through this. Yeah. It was beautiful and horrific all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was one, I don't know who it was, but somebody gave my mom a bell for a gift uh -huh. and said, just ring it when you need, you know, when you're missing him so much, you can't stand it. And she would do that. And to this day, she still would do it. And it just, I, I just can't imagine her heart, Marcy, just as I'm looking at you. I can't yeah. imagine losing a child. I can't yeah. fathom it. There were just times when she was just, I know she had to have cried herself to sleep. I know she had to have wished herself not here, but you never saw that in her. Sure, she cried. Sure, she mourned and missed him. But she went on as a wife, a mom, a grandma eventually. I mean, the strength of my parents is just phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's so funny to hear you say that because I, I do want my listeners to know that your mom did not think that. She did oh. not think that she was strong. 
So don't feel like as a bereaved parent that you know you need to show that because what's happening is you actually are like other people are thinking that about you, even though you're not thinking about yourself. Right. right. I right. can guarantee your mom did not think right. she was strong. No. no, I can guarantee she was thinking not again. How can I possibly do this a third time? That's what was going on in her head. You're exactly right. But from the outside, you looked at her and saw strength. Oh, I just think about what, oh. how that must have been for her. Right. Right. And that wasn't even the last time now. No. 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 So my brother at the time, my brother Tim was in the military and that poor sweet Tim, he got the call from Red Cross and he had to stand in line to use a payphone. And the only message he got from Red Cross was, your brother, your brother was killed. So the first thing he said to my mom was, Mom, which one? Who? Right. Right. Because he didn't even know. Yeah. And mom just, you know, she just needed him home. She needed to hold him and mourn him. And then two weeks later, I get married. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like. And I remember saying to my husband or my fiance at the time, like, let's just go to the courthouse. I can't do this to my parents. I can't. How are we going to go on? How are we going to do this? And and it was just like, so one of my brother's best friends and then the, the boy, the young man that was in the motorcycle accident with him that was riding alongside of him, they both went down to the local tuck shop, got a tux and both stood in for my wedding. In your brother's place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We got through it. We just, we would break down. There's a song um, that Michael always played. And so they made sure that after, you know, the wedding and the bride and groom leave, that was the last song that they played at the wedding. And, and they just all got together and held hands. And they just knew that Michael got us through that wedding. Michael would have wanted us to party on dudes, you know. And Yeah. It's so hard to want to do that. It is. It is. I think, wow, I can't believe that you had the wedding right after the one and then your sixth birthday was, you, no. these times of celebration in your life had really been filled with a lot of grief. Yeah, yeah, and my, yeah. And then my brother Kevin, his birthday of all days is September 11th. Uh -huh. And that was the day that Terrence passed, my little brother, without Terrence. kidneys. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So he passed on your brother's birthday, wow. Yeah. So that was 1993 Memorial Day. Tim got to come home. The Reens let him come home and grieve. He was almost home, I would say, maybe a month. Wow. We just, we all grieved. We cried. We prayed. We laughed, cried, cycled again and again and again. And then Tim had to go back to the Marines. And then after our wedding, we honeymooned out West. And it was so therapeutic for me because while I was happy and a, and a happy, blissful bride, I was also mourning that childhood that I had just said goodbye to. Yeah. So I got to spend a lot of time with my brother, Tim, out in California, because that's where he was stationed. Okay. That was healing for both of us, because we really got to talk a lot and reminisce. And um, Michael and Tim were just less than a year apart. So that was really, really hard on Tim. Mm -hmm. And so Labor Day of that same year, 1993, I was teaching, I was married, obviously, and I was teaching and the secretary came to me and said, your dad's on the phone. And I got on the phone and my dad's voice was, was kind of cracking. And he just said, K 
can you come home? There's been an accident. And I just, my very good friend, teacher friend said, you are not driving. I will drive you back, you know, there. So I got home and I found out that there had been an accident on the military base with Tim. And that then probably within a half hour, the Marines were at our door. And I knew, I knew something was, it wasn't just an, something really bad had happened. And so the Marines were giving my mom and dad airline tickets and mom was still at work. And so they handed the phone and mom was talking to the Marines on the phone and, you know, went into her nursing mode because they're like, well, you know, he's, he's in a coma and, you know, that he was in a military accident, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and mom's in her nurse mode, like, what are his vitals? And blah, blah, blah. And yes. So mom and dad, I, again, I went up and called my sister, Catherine in Chicago and said, you need to come home. But this whole time, I think we were all like, no, there's no way. There is no way this is happening again. No right. way. Right. Because it had just been months from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Yeah. Mom and dad flew out immediately to Sandy at Camp Pendleton and the rest of us just slowly one by one, Marcy, it's like the same people show up with the ham sandwiches or the Miller lights or the, you know, it's just like, they just, they just come and they just, oh, and 99% of them, they know what to say and do, you know? And for some For like my brothers, it was, yep, let's grab a Bud Light and go on the back porch. For me, it was come and love me and rock me and hold me and sob with me, you know? For, you know, my older sister, she was being the oldest organizer. It's, okay, let's sit down. Now, what flight are they coming back on? And, you know, so everybody had their little zone that they were in. And then it wasn't until mom and dad got out there and assessed it and then were able to call us and explain what had happened. And even to this day, I always say I'm going to be on Dateline because there's just too many missing pieces of Tim's accident that just don't make sense. So I don't know if there's any listeners out there that have ever struggled with that, you know, like yours, your accident, all the pieces fit. Unfortunately, you know what killed Andy. You know, yeah, you know yeah. what artery was severed, what bro- bone was brought, whatever. But for this particular story, and in honor of my brother, I don't want to go into too many details, but it was it was a car accident. It was a vehicle accident. They were almost certain that he was the driver. However, there was another military person in the vehicle. And unfortunately, that military person was let go. He's no longer serving. So we could not ask him any questions. We couldn't find out any more details of, hey, wait, what's going on here? Because we made fun of my brother, my husband and I, when we were out on our honeymoon, because my grandfather was a farmer and he always drove real slow because he would drive the tractor slow. Yeah. And so I'm like, Tim. What are you doing? Like he would drive so slow on base. And he's like, no, you just don't do that, Regina. He's like, you don't do that on military bases. You never, ever go the speed limit. You always go under the speed limit. And so there's so many pieces of the accident report that just don't make sense. Supposedly, Tim was driving a vehicle and lost control and the exact same head injury of Michael. Exact same side, exact same. Oh, my word. The autopsies, my mom said the autopsies read like they were 
twins. It was unbelievable. Wow. But uh, I went ahead of myself there. So when mom and dad called, Tim was in a, you know, in a coma, was not responding to anything. Mm -hmm. And they were basically flew mom and dad out to make the decision to pull the machines, to pull the, to make the decision to end life as we know it. And mom and dad are huge proponents of donors. Uh, Michael was a donor. And so they wanted to make sure that Tim could donate his organs as well. They held the phone up and we got to pass the phone around and say goodbye to Tim on the phone. So that was Labor Day. Um, Mom and dad flew back the very next day. We all came out to the airport. And I remember my dad just, he he just kept walking. He couldn't even come up to us. He had his backpack on and he just kept walking out to the van like, he shared with us later that one of the surgeons came out and said, oh, thank God you have other children. And dad put up his hands and said, which finger do you want? Like, that is not something you say to a grieving parent. Oh, thank God you have other children. Yes. Yeah, I know. That one just, yeah. I had another mom say that, that someone said that to her. And and yeah. And the response back was, well, which one of yours would you give up? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom and dad both the in their heart of hearts, I don't want to say they were at peace because no one's ever at peace, but we, you know, through humor and through tears, we decided that of all my brothers, Michael up in heaven, 21 years old, he was like, dude, what am I doing? You know, like I need, I, I need some friends up here. <laughs> and of all my brothers, Tim would have been the one to say, I'll come up, you know, cause my one brother was married. One was too, you know, so well, or maybe Michael decided like, hey, God, I need somebody. And that the, yeah. the two of them were like, well, okay, Tim's the logical choice. Let's go with Tim. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Regina exactly. just got married, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But um, and so here we are again, going up that same hill to that same church to another funeral. And it was just like, I felt like we were we were grieving with oh my god Marcy uh-huh. oh my god hello <laughs> my son just came home from the marines oh, I was trying to see where you were I want to make sure you were out of school recording live right now oh my bad <laughs> talking about Tim in the marines Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> well, this is really beautiful. Give me your hat. What? Is this legal to do? Oh. Oh. No, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, Regina. I can't believe this. This is amazing. My son just came. He spawned me in. He just, Tim, we're just talking about Tim. That's crazy. Oh, it's not crazy. It's no. God. Hi, welcome home. Well, hi. Hi. (laughs) Oh, well, I love it. Okay. So where were we? (laughs) I'm holding his hand now. I'm holding his hand. Well, that's good. Yes. So Tim obviously lives on. I remember the priest at the funeral saying, perhaps you will love him more in death than you would have in life. And I thought... No way, no way. But oh my goodness, I would have never 
we as a family would have never been able to have moments like this yeah. if we wouldn't have gone through the horrific moments because there's no doubt in my mind, A, there's eternal life and we will see them again. There's no doubt in my mind that their spirit is a, is with us every day. It's what got this young man through boot camp, I know, because <laughs> yeah, my mom passed away when he was at boot camp. Yeah, I mean, it's the cycle of life. And it sounds so terrible to say it that way, the cycle of life. And I'm not saying it to be yeah less without less emotion but we have to go on for those loved ones and we have to make them proud and i can't believe this <laughs> i know then tim would be so proud oh he is he yep. is oh my gosh well you know what i know this will be ending a little bit abruptly but i think we need to end now i think this is a oh beautiful my place to goodness. end with it you is a beautiful and your, place. And your son surprising you. You didn't know he was coming home today? I didn't know he was coming home for Christmas. He told me he had to go to he he uh, he was he has he has to go to the border, which is a whole nother like, oh, but yeah. He had no idea he was coming home. He's in big trouble right now. He's, <laughs> he's gonna go clean his room. Clean. All right. Just thank you for everything, and and maybe this is a God's perfect timing. I think it is, and I think it was perfect for us to all witness this today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So much love to thank you. you. Thank Marcy. you, Marcy. So much for sharing absolutely your and your three brothers with us. All right. Love to you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Bye. Bye bye. As you notice, this interview was cut off rather abruptly of course, because of the surprise of her son just coming home totally unexpectedly. She had no idea he was coming home for Christmas. But anyway, she did send me an email a couple of hours later, because she did have a few more things that she had wanted to share. So I am just going to read that email to you right now, because I thought there were some really nice little nuggets there says, Dear Marcy, I am so happy to have finally met you and really enjoyed our conversation. Although I truly believe it was God's perfect timing to end the conversation, I did want to add a few points. Our family was forever changed from each and every tragic loss, and there isn't a day that goes by that we don't all grieve the loss in some minor way. In 2016, my father received devastating news that the kidney dialysis he was receiving was no longer effective. He was able to come home and live out his last few days surrounded by his wife and children. He lived exactly 12 days, and we all believe that he gave each of his 12 children one day. We had some good talks as he was living out those last few days. He was fully aware that he would be at last reunited with his beautiful children. My mother just passed away last August, and just like my dad, we were able to prepare through the help of hospice and palliative care her journey. A few days before her death, she was in and out of consciousness. One memory I will cherish is of her folding and unfolding a towel and holding it close to her face. She kept whispering something, and when I finally was close enough to hear what she was saying, it brought me peace. She was patting the towel ever so gently, saying, Mommy is here. There's not a doubt in my mind she was holding one of my siblings. We were blessed to have our mom here for 81 years, and now they get her for eternity. My hope is that one person out there listening might find something in my story to hold on to in their moments of grief and desperation. 
Merry Christmas to you. And now this was recorded, obviously, just three days before Christmas. So that's how her son surprised her in coming home unexpectedly for Christmas. And I know when it's released, it's going to be four weeks after Christmas. But I still say to you all, Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can type Andy's mom, one word, to the number 53555. This provides a link to GiveButter, which allows donations through PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, or credit cards. GiveButter will provide a receipt of your tax-deductible donation. Or you can visit the donation page at andysmom.com donate. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 and can receive donations through Thrivent Financial and Benevity. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com or on the Instagram or Facebook Always Andy's Mom accounts. Sign up for the email list to get weekly episode links as well as pictures of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.